As we enter the spring semester, we thought we'd take a break from our usual format to discuss what we're looking forward to in 2024. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning. This podcast series is hosted by John Kane, an economist, and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer, and features guests doing important research and advocacy work to make higher education more inclusive and supportive of all learners. What tea are you drinking now, Rebecca? Drinking salon tea. And I have ginger peach black tea from the Republic of Tea. So it's a new year, John, and we're going to have a nice positive episode. So what are you grateful for? I'm grateful that we survived another year. I'm grateful for the continued return to face-to-face instruction and a continuing return to a more normal classroom environment and college environment after all the disruptions from COVID that lasted for a while. And I'm also grateful for the initiatives that we're using on our campus and most campuses to provide more focus on equity and trying to reduce some of the equity gaps that we've been seeing. And I'm seeing a general interest in that across a wide range of faculty and the administration. And we're just in the process of running some workshops And we're getting some really good attendance at workshops that focus on techniques that faculty can use to improve equity and reduce some of those gaps. And I'm looking forward to seeing continued expansion of more equitable practices. And also, we've had quite a few people trying to implement the TILT approach that Marianne Winkleman has talked about on a past podcast episode. And we're hoping that that combined with the increased structure that many people are trying to use in their classes will help provide all students with more equitable outcomes. I'm really glad that you kind of brought up equity, John, because I I was just reflecting on a couple meetings that I was in just this week and thinking about how equity oriented many of our colleagues are. And it's really exciting to see them really advocating for policies instructional practices and many other things that are really equity oriented and thinking about inclusion and access and all the things that you and I have talked about for a long time and have cared about and tried to implement in our classes. I'm also really grateful for, and I know you are too, for the many guests that we've had who've shared their expertise with us and with our audience When we do these weekly episodes, it's so great to have the opportunity to talk to such experts, to learn from them, to stay fresh with what's going on, and to be able to share it with everyone else. It's an experience that I didn't know that I wanted, and I'm glad that we get to continue doing it. And one other thing I'm grateful for from last fall is I attended my first pod conference, and I got to meet dozens of guests that we've talked to before. And we've talked to them, we've seen them on camera, but it was so nice to meet them and talk to them in more detail and in more depth in person. I felt that way when I went to Educause for the first time this year and connected with a number of colleagues focused on accessibility and growing that network and really connecting beyond just names and emails and other ways that we've communicated. What are some of the major things you're watching in the higher ed landscape? We've seen a lot of changes going on in the last few years. What are things that you're going to be focusing more of your attention on in the next year? I know that some of the things that we're working on 
in grad studies and that I'm personally really involved in are kind of some increased accessibility resources for our colleagues at Oswego as well as SUNY. I'm looking forward to building out some of those resources, sharing those resources and wrapping up a couple of research projects related to accessibility and getting to share those out. And I'm really excited that the higher ed landscape generally is having a little more focus in this space because students with disabilities have been often overlooked in our diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives. And there definitely is a push to be a little more inclusive and to have that population represented in these efforts and initiatives. We're also really focused on ideas of belonging for a wide range of students, thinking about how do we get our online students connected (laughs) to each other and to the larger population of students and to see them as members of our community, extending some of those features and opportunities for international students and really thinking about what some of their needs are to be successful at our institution, especially with our kind of rural location and what can make things really excited. So I'm really looking forward to finding ways to support our students, not just in the courses that I'm teaching or in my instructional role, but also in policies and procedures that we're implementing at the institution in grad studies, but more broadly as well. How about you? One of the things that I'm really following closely is the development of AI. This came about a little over a year ago, and it's been a really disruptive influence. It offers a lot of tremendous possibilities, but it also provides some challenges to traditional assessments, particularly in asynchronous online courses. So I'm looking forward to continued development. It seems like there's new tools coming out almost every week, and it offers some really nice capabilities to narrow some of the equity gaps that we have by providing low-cost assistance for students who may not have come into our institutions quite as well-prepared. It offers a possibility of students doing a little bit more retrieval practice for those classes where instructors are not providing those opportunities. It offers students who, again, have a somewhat weaker background to take more complex readings that they may have been assigned and simplifying it and creating a more accessible format to help students get up to the level they need in their classes. And so it provides tools that can help students improve their writing and so forth. The challenge, of course, is that it can also be used as a substitute for learning in some classes unless assignments are designed in a way and assessment techniques are designed in a way that reduces the likelihood of that. And that's one of the things we'll be working on a lot this year, ways of coming up with more authentic assessments and ways of providing more intrinsic motivation for the work that students are doing so that students can see the value of the learning rather than focusing entirely on grades. And one of the things we're doing is we have a reading group coming up early this semester on grading for growth by Robert Talbert and David Clark. And we're, in general, encouraging faculty to at least consider the adoption of alternative grading systems, which shift the focus away from students trying to maximize grades to maximizing their learning. And there's a wide variety of tools that could be used for that, ranging from mastery learning quizzing systems, which many faculty have already been doing through specifications grading, contract grading, labor-based grading, and also ungrading. Yeah, it's really exciting that we're going to focus on that this semester. Something that I've been interested in for a long time and have been using in my classes as well. I'm glad you mentioned AI. There's certainly a lot of promise and 
I've been really excited by how many faculty, staff, administrators who've actually really been engaged in the conversation around AI. I think sometimes there are new innovations and things and people kind of brush it aside and don't always think it applies to them or isn't relevant to them. But I think this is something that's relevant to everybody. And most people are seeing that and engaging in the conversation, struggling in the conversation, but at least we're doing that in community. And I think there's some power in that as we think through policy and assignments and all the things that we need to think about to provide an enriching experience for our students, but also engage and use the tools and the power that they offer. One other thing I'm following is the development of a wide variety of new ed tech tools. We saw an explosive growth in the development of tools and expansion of their capabilities in response to the COVID pandemic, but that growth and expansion hasn't dropped. And we're seeing more and more tools that have often been designed based on research about how students learn. And I think we're going to see expanded use of many of these tools in the coming year. And I think a lot of faculty got used to experimenting with these tools during remote education and are continuing to use them in physical and virtual classrooms, which I think is really exciting. Maybe even more exciting to me was attending big conferences like Middle States and actually having a presenter use some of these ed tech tools as part of a plenary. So rather than having more of a lecture style session, it was more of an interactive session, which doesn't always happen at conferences of such scale or these more leadership conferences. So it's exciting to see that we're modeling some of these practices at the highest level so that a wide variety of individuals involved in higher ed are experiencing learning and engaging with these kinds of tools. Along these same lines, I'm also excited that many of these tools are starting to actually attend to accessibility in part because higher ed institutions are really pushing back to third-party providers and requesting them provide information about accessibility and even refusing to adopt tools if they aren't meeting basic accessibility principles, which I think is really exciting and really important. And I saw something very similar both at the pod conference where you might expect to see people creating more interactive workshops, but I've also been seeing it in the workshops that we've had in the last couple of weeks here. We have a record number of faculty presenting in workshops. They're using polling. They're using tools like Mentimeter. And they're doing many more interactive activities than in past years. If we go back a few years, many of the sessions that were presented were essentially straight walkthroughs through PowerPoint slideshows with not a lot of interaction with the participants. And our workshops here have been both in-person and remote over Zoom. And people have been working really effectively to bring all the participants into the discussion and into the activities, regardless of whether they are in person, in the room, or remote. And it's been nice to see that. Much of that, I think, did grow out of the experiences of COVID and people just getting more comfortable trying new tools. Come to find out, practice helps us learn things. Also, our campus enabled the AI companion in Zoom which will provide meeting summaries for people who arrive late or for people who come in at the end of a discussion. And I think that's going to offer some nice opportunities for people who may have missed part of the discussion early on in a session or in a workshop or in a meeting, because so many of our meetings now take place over Zoom. And there's lots to be watching that are also highly concerning, but John and I resolved that we weren't going to focus on those today. So this will be a relatively short episode. (laughs) So continuing on this theme of gratefulness and positivity, John, what are you looking forward to trying this year? 
or focusing on in your own work this year or committing to this year? One thing, and this partly follows up a couple of podcasts we've had in the last year or so. In our campus, many departments are working to build in some of the NACE competencies into their classrooms. And there's some really significant advantages for that. If it's done well, it will help students recognize the intrinsic value of the things they're learning in class and recognize that these are skills that they're going to need later, which again, helps provide much more motivation for students to learn than if they just see a series of activities that instructors ask them to do and they don't see the value of that. So by making the connections between what we're doing in the classroom in terms of development of critical thinking skills, teamwork, and all those other NACE competencies, it offers some really serious benefits for students and for faculty, because if students are more engaged in the activities and understand the purpose of them, I think they're going to be much more likely to focus on the learning rather than, again, trying just to get the highest grade. And that's also very consistent with the TILT approach that we mentioned earlier. If students understand why you're doing things, they're going to receive the techniques and engage in them more productively than if they didn't see the value of those tasks. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned tilt as well. We mentioned it earlier, but I was just remembering that one of the things I wanted to mention while we were talking today is a commitment to thinking about tilt, not just in a classroom context, but all the other places that touch a student experience. So thinking about policies and procedures and ways that we can use a tilt approach to really improve transparency and clarity for our students and provide some equity and access by doing so. The other thing that I'm committed to trying to do is get back to more play. We've had some episodes on T for Teaching focused on play, and they always get me really excited about some of the things that I've done in the past in some of my classes and that I've done with some of my colleagues and that the burden of transitioning during COVID to remote learning, some of these things have taken time and maybe attention away from play. And I'm hoping to take some time in 2024 to put some more attention back on being a little more playful. So you think education could be fun? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) I've moved to doing some exercises and activities again a little more recently that get to some of these more playful ways of creating and making and thinking through complex problems. And every time I do that, the students appreciate it. I have more fun. They have more fun. And I think a lot more learning gets done. Since we want to focus on the positive, we'll leave challenges for future episodes. We've got all of 2024 to do that, John. And we really appreciate, as Rebecca said, all of the wonderful guests that we've had since the beginning of this podcast. And we appreciate our audience, too. So thank you for hanging in there with us. Have a great 2024. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. To continue the conversation, join us on our Tea for Teaching Facebook page. You can find show notes, transcripts, and other materials on teafortteaching.com. Music by Michael Gary Brewer.